the second season of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries, and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they've faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them, and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Anne Prance, who is an executive vice chair at Mastercard and also chaired the 30% and also took up a role at BEIS this year too. Thanks for joining me today, Anne. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to MasterCard? And was a career in financial services always on your mind? Good morning, Grace, and it's lovely to be with you. Um, Well, I've had a long career, actually, because it's over 40 years since I started work. And I actually didn't start in the finance industry. I was originally a mathematician and statistician. And I began life in a research station designing experiments for engineers and physicists. And then I moved into the engineering world myself and went to work in a department that actually looked after the offshore platforms for oil and gas production in the North Sea and the Irish Sea. And so I would have to fly offshore in helicopters and do all sorts of very interesting um, survival exercises. Um, And then the industry was privatizing in the 80s and that's when I joined banking because I could see that the people rising to the top of that industry weren't the engineers, they were the people with the finance backgrounds. And that's when I joined Citibank in their investment bank. And I was in banking for many, many years through into my 50s, um, which is when I joined MasterCard about 10 years ago. MasterCard, people think it's a financial business, but actually it's a technology business. It's a big network that connects about 3 billion consumers. So almost half the planet use our products and uh, and it works across over 200 countries. Wow. Well, that seems like a very interesting career from going to doing survival tactics to financial services. (laughs) Now, when you were when you were at school, did you know that you wanted to be a mathematician? Not at the beginning. Actually, I I thought that I might like to be a doctor when I was younger. And um, I was never very good at languages, by the way, Uh, though I wish that I had kept up with my languages now that I work in the international banking (laughs) world. (laughs) But I guess as I was getting towards A-level, I knew that I was very much on the science side because I did maths, physics and chemistry A-level. I was not great at chemistry. I never could get my potions class to change colour and Professor Snape would hate me. (laughs) But I was good at runes. I was good at maths, yeah. Well, I know you went to both Sheffield and Newcastle University. How important do you think it actually is to go to university in today's world? Well, it's an interesting question because I know, it, particularly in Britain, we're starting to have apprenticeship schemes. Yeah. And I think if uh, there are people who want to leave school um, and not go to university, but to start their career earlier, that's a perfectly good path to take if you want to get work experience and you know what you want. 
Um, I also think, um, you know, you could take that route and go to university later. I know in my own family, I have several uh, brothers-in-law who didn't go to university and were successful businessmen in their own right. One had his own building company. Another was a quite senior executive in the insurance industry. And then a third brother-in-law who didn't go to university until he was probably late 20s. And he got an architecture degree after about 10 years working. Oh. So I don't think it's a given that you should necessarily you know, go to university. Well, can you tell me a bit more about your role at BEIS? Yes, this is something new for me this year. And um, BEIS is basically the, um, the department in government that looks after business. It also looks after a very important topic, which is net zero, um, which I think should be near and dear to everyone's heart and particularly people your age, because it's the future to actually figure out how to tackle climate change. And it also focuses on innovations such as things that we might do for the British space program. Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting department of government. Well, um, talking about being greener and more energy wise, um, how do you think we can, like simple things, how do you think we could improve our econess, if that's even the word? Well, there's so many things that we need to do. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things about getting to net zero is, um, you know, of course, we've given ourselves until you know, 2050 and so forth. But there are specific windows in time that you have to do things. So if you're going to take some of the oil and gas platforms out of the sea, it takes a while to do that. If you're going to build nuclear power stations, because nuclear is clean energy, yeah. it takes a long time to do that. And then the other thing that you need to do, we are the world's leaders in offshore wind power. And uh, but we have to set up the wind farms and we have to switch yes. it into the electricity grid. So those are big, big projects. Then it's things like, uh, you know, cars and electric cars. And obviously the government are making rules on that. Um, and then it's how you live your everyday life. So coming back to MasterCard, we did a deal with a company, a Scandinavian company called Deconomy, that actually calculates uh, according to what you buy, what your carbon footprint is. Wow. So, yeah. So you could have on your telephone, it could say, oh, you ate a beef burger today, your carbon footprint increased by X, or you bought a pair of jeans, your carbon footprint increased by Y. And it would give you a tally every day about what your carbon footprint looks like. And then you can do various things to offset it. You know, you could say, oh, I'm planting some trees today, you know, with my reward points from, say, my MasterCard, that kind of thing. And you know why I love that, Grace? Because I'm one of these people that mm -hmm. love, you know, when I pick up a sandwich, I always look and I go, it's red, amber, green. There's yeah. too much salt, there's too much fat in this, you know. I yeah. think I'll switch to egg and cress, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and I think it's lovely to have something that could help you as a person live your everyday life more green.
Well, that definitely sounds very smart because you can always calculate and then if you had a beef burger, maybe have a chicken burger. (laughs) (laughs) A veggie burger. A veggie burger. Yeah. Now, obviously, we've all been hit by COVID with shops only just reopening and businesses trying to get back to the new normal. And with eco, carbon has gone way down. Anyway, how have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues both personally and professionally in MasterCard? Hmm. Well, we were lucky in MasterCard because we had pretty flexible working ahead of COVID. And the big businesses like us who were like that and the small businesses could switch to virtual pretty quickly. Um, But other people weren't so lucky. I mean, we virtually had around the world, our staff were able to work from home overnight. And the thing that I like about this is, well, for years, actually, women have been saying we wish we had more flexible working so that we can fit in everything else to do with our life. And overnight it changed and we were able to do things online. But there are also negative aspects to that. Um, I don't know how often you Zoom a day, but I find that I'm very tired if I Zoom hours and hours a day. And also, it's very hard to switch off from work. It's easy to just stay online and do that next Zoom call and that next email. And you can easily get trapped into not stopping work at nighttime. Um, So you have to get a new rhythm to your life. That's certainly what I found. One of the things for me is I used to travel about 44 weeks a year all over the world. And I'd fly into Colombia and meet the president of Colombia and Russia and meet the prime minister of Russia. And um, and now I do everything online like this. But it does mean that I can do many different continents in one day. So, for example, one day I got up, I did a conference in Beijing in the morning. (laughs) I did a broadcast in South Africa at lunchtime and I did something in America in the afternoon. So there are definitely benefits to this. Yeah, you might need to work on your on your languages if that's going to carry on. (laughs) I would love to. But, you know, I really I don't have the flair for it at all. (laughs) Might just get your Google Translate out. Oh, I do all the time. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of talk about pay equality generally. How well do you think women are catching up with men's salaries and getting those top jobs, especially in finance? Um, Well, there are some improvements, especially at board level. We've got many more women on boards. And about um, 11 years ago, there were less than 10 percent women on boards in the UK. And now in the FTSE 100, which are our top country companies listed on the stock exchange in Britain, we've got over 37%, which is absolutely fantastic. And we're heading towards 40%. And I hope that we reach parity. Mm. Um, but of course, it's a different story at the executive level in companies. Yeah. So boards tend to have oversight and the executive are running the company. So I'm executive level in, in MasterCard. And at that level, it's only around 22 percent. 
uh, not just in our company, but in most big companies around the world, in Britain, and actually around the world, it's probably a bit lower than that because in other countries, you know, you might only have one or two women at the top of companies. So, um, so there's a lot of ground to make up here. And by the way, it's not just women. It's yeah. all other aspects of diversity, for example, people of color, yeah. um, you know, people with disabilities, um, LBGTQ, um, all of these things we need to be thinking about now. Well, talking about diversity and equality, can you tell me a little bit about being chaired of the 30% club and that's organization's aims? Well, the 30% Club was founded at a time we had less than 10% women yeah. on boards in Britain. And for many years, its aims were to get more women at the top and at least 30%. And you could ask yourself why that number It's actually based on some science that says for any minority, once you've got more than 30% of them in the room, it's a tipping point. Um, you know, they cease to be a minority. Yeah. Um, and. You could think about it at board level. There's something like about usually about, let's say, 10 people on a board. If you have one woman, she's not, you know, she's very different from everyone else. If you have two women, people are always comparing them. If you have three, it starts to be a very different yeah. dynamic and then things tip. And it could be the same for people of color and so on. Makes sense. So, so that's what the 30% club was founded on. And it's not that we only want 30%. We want parity, <laughs> but that's the starting point, yeah. the lowest level we want. And, um, and we're in over 20 countries in the world. So we're in Australia and Japan and Hong Kong and South Africa and Italy and the UK and Ireland and America and Canada and Brazil and Mexico, so you know, <laughs> yeah, so we're all over the world, and uh, we're increasing the number of countries we're in because the business world is global, yeah. um, and it's totally voluntary. And the members are mainly men because the members are the CEOs and the chairman of companies, so we have about 1100 members. and. You know, they're some of the top com companies in the world, Coca-Cola, Citibank, wow. Unilever, um, um, you know, so uh, brands that all of you would know even at school. Um, and the top men, and they're mainly men, there are some women in these companies are signed up to actually increase diversity at the top of their companies. Well, wow, so you're going to have to go on to planets. <laughs> you've filled Earth, you need to go on to Neptune now. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, definitely, if we have any boards up there and there's any you settlements, know. for sure, it would fit with the space programme. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm quite interested in tech and STEM, and I read that you work in a programme called Girls for Tech. Um, yeah. <laughs> could you tell me a bit more about that and what that does? Yeah, we started it in America um, because we thought it's actually quite difficult for us to recruit 50-50 men, women in the STEM subjects yeah. um, because there are far fewer women graduating from university for a start yeah. in these subjects. So we thought, um, how can we change this for the future? And uh, after a bit of research, what we decided was we needed to get girls between the ages of eight and 12, let's say, 
who basically are making their selections for the future and tell them not to drop their STEM subjects, get them interested yeah. in it at a young age and tell them that they could have great careers if they kept up with this and, um, and show them that it's fun. It's not boring. I mean, my own daughter was educated in America when I worked there uh, for seven years. And I remember her starting school and the teachers saying to her, oh, maths is hard and, you know, sums are boring. And I thought, what, is, what a silly thing to tell young children. They weren't just telling the girls that, but, yeah. you know, and I was a bit offended, really, being a mathematician, because it is, I think it is fun, but there you go, I might be strange. Um, anyway, they, they, uh, we, we decided to bring girls into our offices and show them, here's the type of things that you do. You know, here's how you uh, detect fraud, and uh, here's how you use cryptology. And, and, and we had sort of little badges that sort of a bit, bit like you'd collect in other things like, oh, I know how to code and things like this, you know. Um, and, uh, and it was so successful. We're now rolling it out around the world. And we've reached a million girls so far. And we've wow. got a new target to reach five million. Um, and I love it. I mean, we've actually hosted it in London at the Transport Museum in Covent Garden. Oh. And uh, and I've been to some of our exhibits there and, and met some of the kids. It was really good fun. Now, have you had any mentors or have there been anyone that you particularly admire? Oh, I admire lots of people. And it's not necessarily um, people just in my field. Um, so... Uh, I, um, you know, for example, in the film world, and I love Judy Dench, um, who plays M in the Bond movies. Oh. And, <laughs> and I love her because one of the things about her is that she started making those Bond movies when she was about 60 and then went on until she was almost 80. And one of the things is that people have bias against age as well and she's broken those barriers yeah. in a world in a in an arts world where there's even more barriers towards women in that respect by the way so i love people like that who push the barriers um i uh I, you know i love it when you have women scientists uh, such as sarah gilbert who has invented the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah. I see that they've now brought out a doll. <laughs> doll? Yeah, so they've brought out a science Barbie doll uh, that looks like Sarah Gilbert. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, the thing is about Barbie dolls, you know, if you're going to play with them, why, why can't you have some that are scientists and doctors <laughs> and physicists and so on? <laughs> um and um, I like the fact that uh, around the world that you've got um, people of different generations joining together, you know. So on the climate side, you've got Greta Thunberg and uh, you've got Richard Attenborough. So you've got somebody in their teens and somebody in their 90s who are on the same platform on some of the world's biggest stages talking about how we have to get together to save the planet. I love that. Richard Attenborough? Sorry, David Attenborough. <laughs> David Attenborough. <laughs> Richard Attenborough did, um, yeah, <laughs> he did those movies.
shoes, didn't he? Well, he's also famous. I'm sorry, David Attenborough. <laughs> David Attenborough made many movies too, and I absolutely love his uh, documentaries, Blue Planet and things like that. I don't know whether you watch them, but I think he introduced us all to the wonders of the natural world, didn't he? Well, they're, they, you're right, they're, they're quite amazing. Sometimes I wonder how they get so close to, like, these sharks. And, yes. And these crocodiles and these hippos. It's just, yes. wow. I think one of the best ones is when he was hiding in the jungle and um, he was observing gorillas. And he's whispering <laughs> through the microphone. <laughs> these huge creatures. You know, wonderful. Now, when we look at social media, which I know plays a huge part in your job and all of our lives now, what advice would you give girls, say, about my age, about how to use it and maybe not use it? Mm. In some ways, I think social media is fantastic because it connects you to your friends all over the world. And uh, and many people these days uh, have lifestyles where they've got friends from different countries and so on. So it's great from that point of view. Um, and it allows you not to lose touch with people as you travel as well. When I say travel, I mean move to different countries. In the past, you were just waiting and trying to remember to send people letters about your new address. I mean, it, you can't even imagine yeah. it now. So there's a lot of pluses about social media, um, but of course there's tremendous negatives as well. I, in a way, I'm glad I'm of my generation because I would worry now about things I might have posted when I was much younger yeah. that seemed good things to post at the time. And then I'd look back rather embarrassed about them and think, oh my goodness, was that me at that age? Um, and I think you do have to be very careful about that. And uh, and you do have to protect yourself against bullying yeah. and trolling and things like this. Um, and also what, you know, what images are you being given? When I was a school girl, the, you know, uh, we were all about, I don't know, size 12 or something. And we could almost share each other's clothes and we we were not on diets and we were not, you know, we were quite healthy and we would go out in the fresh air and do all sorts of things. Whereas now girls are shown these super skinny images yeah, and trying to live up to that, which actually I don't think are particularly attractive. So, yeah, yeah there's things like that to worry about. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Anne. Thank you so much, and I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices that they're about to make in their careers. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcast as I talk to many more brilliant women. Thank you to our sponsors, Haynes Watts, Levi Strauss, Swinton Insurance, and Talk Talk for their amazing and continued support.